Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today we will be opening up the Salt and Light Hope Chest and pulling out some of our favorite conversations from the fall of 2017. We start by speaking with Cardinal Kevin Farrell. He's the president of the Vatican Department that oversees laity, family, and life. And we're going to speak with him about the upcoming World Meeting of Families, the Synod on Youth, and World Youth Day. After that, we reconnect with Paul Anderson. He's a choir master of the Boys of St. Paul's Choir School, who have a new album dedicated to Mary. In our second half hour, author Chris Sparks asks how someone could still be Catholic, and we end the show by meeting singer-songwriter Meredith Augustine. Remember to visit us at saltandlighttv.org radio, and to comment on what you hear or ask any questions, look for me, Deacon Pedro, on Facebook or Twitter. We begin now with Cardinal Kevin Farrell. By now, I'm sure everyone has heard about uh, an event called World Youth Day. They've heard of an event called the World Meeting of Families. They might even have heard about an event called the Synod of Bishops and the next one, of course, on the theme of uh, youth, faith and discernment. But probably most of you have not heard that there is a a department in the Vatican that's called the Dicastery for Laity, Life, and Family, and that this Dicastery is, in a way, maybe our guest today will tell me that I'm wrong, but that they're, in a way, responsible for all those events. And uh, maybe to, as I said, clarify, I am very, very happy to have with me today Cardinal Kevin Farrell. He's the Prefect of the Dicastery for Laity, Life, and Family. Cardinal Farrell, yes, welcome you. to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you so much. So are you going to tell it's me that I'm, that I'm wrong, here. that you're actually not responsible for all those events? I am. It depends on what you word <laughs> mean by the word responsible. Uh, certainly, uh, we're the one that oversee those events. Right. Um, the first one coming up being, in part, the Synod. Uh-huh. Although we're involved in this Synod, especially only because it is... Uh, a synod of young people. Right. Uh, we would normally, there is an office in the Vatican that is the secretariat for the synod mm-hmm. that Cardinal Baldessari is in charge of. Yes. Uh, however, this one being about youth and young people and that being part of laity. Right. Uh, it is, we are, we do have a special role in it this time. And then, of course, in um, that the Pope has called, as you know, a new synod, a pre-synod, mm-hmm. which will take place in March, uh-huh. right before Palm Sunday, when we would usually have a gathering of youth, young people, where we reflect on World Youth Day. Mm-hmm. Um, because in Rome, they celebrate World Youth Day on Palm Sunday. Right. Uh, so, you know, this year it's going to be a synod where they're going to bring maybe 300 people, young people from all over the world Wonderful. to gather. And it's the wish of the Holy Father, Pope Francis, uh, who plans to drop by a few times during the week. It's his desire that they publish a document mm-hmm. um, and that that document be given to all of the bishops who participate in the formal synod that takes place in October. Right. Is it fair to say that one of the reasons, maybe for all synods, but definitely for this one, is that the church wants to listen to, in this case, young people, but listen to the people and and what struggles or challenges or joys they are are going through? 
And to let us know, as in the event that we had yesterday, right, regarding from Salt and Light regarding yes. young people all over Canada, mm-hmm. it was very interesting to hear that maybe catechetically the church is out of contact with young people, right. And so the Pope wants, um, Pope Francis would like us to be discussing exactly what the young people said. Uh, in reference to the church. Right. Uh, because we can go off on, you know, abstract ideas and principles, but mm-hmm. doesn't solve the problem of the reality mm-hmm. of life. Now, it's interesting that this synod on youth is also, I mean, it's very much in line with the theme of the next World Youth Day. Yes. Which has to do with, I mean, because the theme is from from that first chapter of Luke, I am the servant of the Lord. Yes. That's very much a vocational discernment. Um, of course, uh, a theme. So it's they're very much aligned. That's also not a coincidence. No, they're all aligned because uh, Pope Francis. If anybody sits down to study, everything is integrated mm-hmm. into one mission, right. one outgoing, bringing the church out to the people of God. Right, and everything is interconnected. Uh-huh. And that's why when he chose uh, to do the Synod on the family, uh, people were beginning to wonder, well, why the family and why this? To Francis, the family is essential to the evangelization, and the fruit of family is human life, is young people. Right. And so it was obvious that it was going to be, uh, from the very beginning, it was this synod was going to be on young people. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, I believe at the gathering you mentioned that we hosted here at Salt and Light, um, that one of the young people said that you cannot do youth ministry outside of the context of family, family. ministry. Yes, which is interesting. Now, th- so the previous synod was on the family. Yes, and now there's also a world meeting of families. Yes, in your home country. Yes, there's a world meeting of the family in Dublin in August of twenty of next year, of 2018. 2018. Lots of things going on. Too many. <laughs> <laughs> we have uh, the synod, the pre-synod, the family, the synod, and then we go to Panama, which yes. is World Youth Day in January. Yes, we don't even have a break of one year between all of these no. events. No, but it'll be a good conclusion. Panama is going to be good fun. Yes, Panama we, we will hope. be uh, very uh, enjoyable. It will be very successful, I believe. Um, it may not be as big as it has been in other parts of the world. Right. But also, as Pope Francis has explained, Panama was chosen because it is the link between north and south. True, true. And it is the road that goes between south and north and north and south. Yes. It is also where the Eucharist was celebrated. Speaking of evangelization, the Eucharist was celebrated on terra firma. On on mainland. Mainland. Yes. uh, For the the first time. For the first time. Yes. Was Panama. Yes. It may have been celebrated in the Dominican Republic, but that's an island. That's an island, yes. It was, and that's where the evangelization of the Americas began. began. And this is a moment what, where Pope Francis, after the Synod on the Family, the Synod on Young People, wants to initiate once again mm-hmm. this desire for evangelization of the Americas, mm-hmm. yeah. which goes back all the way to 
John Paul II when he had the synod on the Americas. Yes, Ecclesia in America. And so it's all interconnected. It's all coming together. Yes, and that's why he chose Panama, also because um, many of the people of Central America, which tend to be the poorest people of the continents of North and South America, live in Central America. And this is a chance for them they will get there on buses and, you know. Right, whichever way they can get there. Get there. Because they normally don't get a chance to go to go a world, to world day. Day, ever. Absolutely. We also have, you know, many other uh, possibilities of, from the islands that mm-hmm. they have the possibility in the of in the Caribbean, yes. the possibility of going there. And also the summer Southern Hemisphere because it will be in January. So all these people that are normally in school mm-hmm. during July or the summer, our yes. summer months, our summer are, months. will be off school now. That's right. So that should be interesting. I wanted yeah. to go back to the World Meeting of Families because in the same way that you, your office would not normally be involved uh, in a synod, but you would be involved in a world youth day or a world meeting of families yes. because families are laity and it's yes. laity life and family. So how does that uh, uh, how does that work? I guess in terms of you, the, the, the castery and the event that's going to happen in in Dublin next year. Obviously, part of the the castery has been the council for the family, which yes. is now part of our dicastery. Yes. And they uh, are involved in the theme of the world gathering of the families, the organizational part of the world organization for the family is done by the Archdiocese of Dublin Mm -hmm. in Ireland. And we kind of work on the program. Okay. um, Of what is the content of it. It's a little different the whole approach is a little different than the World Youth Day. Mm-hmm. The World Youth Day is much more a gathering of relationships. Right. Um, it's a much larger event. Yes, yes. and much, much larger. Yeah. I mean, there's no comparison to right. the numbers. Yeah. Um, we will have renowned speakers on who will discuss and Amoris Laetitia. Right. And discuss the... Uh, the important parts of Amoris Laetitia and not the footnotes in uh-huh. chapter 8. Right. But chapters <laughs> 1 through 9, you know. Everything and else. especially 4 and 5. Right. And they will open up and try and explain that and we will have um, many people from all over the world who are also um, involved in family life ministry mm-hmm. uh, in their different countries. Yeah. So uh, it will be a very interesting gathering yes. in Dublin and uh, it, it will be the first major event of the church to explain Amoris Laetitia. Yes, and of course, to our listeners, Amoris Laetitia is the apostolic exhortation, or the, the, the document, document that came yeah. out of the synod, the previous synod, which was on the family. Yes. Um, it's very exciting. There's so much going on. I know you're very busy. We're yes. so honored to have you in your busyness to, to stop over in Toronto to visit us. Um, but I'm also glad that since all these events are in sint- sint- as we say in Spanish, in sintonia. In, in, in sintonia, in yes. sinton- They're in sync. 
that we don't have to prepare for five different events. We can just prepare once, and it's the same preparation yes. for the Synod, for the World Meeting of Families, and for World Youth Day. And uh, I guess that's kind of the same preparation we should be doing in our daily spiritual life and, and, and journey anyway. Yes, as we live our Christian life do. in the reality of the world today. Amen. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much for being with us. Yeah. Cardinal Farrell is the prefect of the Dicastery for Laity, Family, and Life. You can learn all about them at laityfamilylife.va. And of course, you can learn all about all those events, the World Meeting of Families, the Synod of Bishops, and World Youth Day by staying tuned to us here at Salt and Light. Here now is our featured choir of the week, the Boys of St. Paul's Choir School with Ave Maria by Joseph Reinberger from their new album of the same name. That was the Boys of St. Paul's Choir School with Ave Maria by Joseph Reinberger from their album Ave Maria. Now you may remember the Boys of St. Paul's Choir School from their album Christmas in Harvard Square. Now once again, De Montfort Music teamed up with Aim Higher Recordings and this time with Sony Classical in the recording of Ave Maria, an album dedicated to Our Lady. 
This is the choir's second international release. They topped the Billboard classical charts with Christmas in Harvard Square and have been featured on many television news programs and specials. And to tell us more about the choir, the school, and, of course, of the, the new album, I'm joined by the choir master, John Robinson. John, welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you so much for having me on. It's such a pleasure to be with you. It is. It's funny. I, I was thinking, uh, you know, is John Robinson the director, the conductor, but choir master sounds so much more... I think so too. I agree. Choir master. <laughs> when, if I ever have to be a director of a choir, I'm a choir master. Um, um, so, congratulations on the success of Christmas at Harvard Square, and and now on on this second album. Why did you decide to go uh, with with Marian theme? Well, I think coming from such a successful Christmas recording. Um, it was a case of thinking about something which would touch people in a different way and which would speak to everybody in different right. kinds of ways. And also just to be something that was useful throughout the whole year. Ah. That, I mean, sure, this, this recording does make for a good Christmas present, but it's, it, it was released on the Feast of Our Lady's birthday. Yes. And I think just, just um, made, made theological sense as well, just to be able to release a recording dedicated to Our Lady, having, having um, made a Christmas recording. Right. And it also just gave us great great choices with regard to music that we were able to sing and the music that the boys here sing every day in the church and love singing um, or that kind of music at least yeah I was going to so ask it seems like a very rich theme yeah yeah I was going to ask about the repertoire because I'm sure that there are I mean Mary has inspired so many uh, composers so much music there must be just this huge repertoire of, of Marian hymns or Marian themed songs right Absolutely, there is. I mean, I suppose if you say Ave Maria, everybody thinks of Schubert's yeah, Ave but Maria. Yeah, there are so hundreds. Popular, it's, there are hundreds, as you say, absolutely. I mean, you just have to have a brief look on um, CPDL on the internet, and you'll see that there's just a vast range of, of Ave Marias alone, let alone all the Regina Chaleys and all the other Marian music out there. Yeah, I know. And, I, um, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say this Reinberger one is the first time I hear it, the Ave Maria. Now I now now I I'm, I'm going to be able to quote, "Well, have you heard the Ave Maria by Joseph Reinberger?" <laughs> um um so how did how did you so there's there's all this great music. How did you narrow it down? How did you pick the songs? That's one of the biggest challenges actually is, <laughs> is to is to narrow it down. Yeah. Um, and we obviously we listen to recordings that of of other of other choirs and we look through all this great music and especially with this recording we thought about things that perhaps hadn't been recorded as yeah much. yeah so the Reinberg is a case in point because Joseph Reinberg is a composer who um is not doesn't trip off the tongue in the same way no. that perhaps Schubert or, or Mozart might um but nonetheless is an absolutely truly great composer um especially of music for choirs just absolutely glorious choral music so we mm -hmm. wanted to make some of that music a little bit a little bit better known as well yeah. Now I was doing. I did a little bit of research. So the, at the beginning of the program, we we heard the Bach piece, the Beast du. I can't even pronounce it. Beast du Mir, <laughs> the German. Yeah. Um, and and I was reading about it, and I was even questioning: Is this really about Mary? So tell us about that that piece. Absolutely. So the piece is just um, a piece which Bach wrote. Uh, um, wrote out in his wife Anna Magdalena Bach's yeah. book. Um, and. And so it certainly has multiple possible meanings. It's certainly uh, so. It's text abide with me until until the end, until I until my death. Yeah. Um, 
could be taken romantically in in the in the context that it's written in his wife's piano book, but yeah. also clearly in the context of a Marian recording, there's a sense in which that then transfers onto our devotion to Our Lady and and the um, plea that she be with us as well to the end. So I think we wanted to include several things for that sort of reason that it may not immediately appear to be a Marian piece per se. But there's something fascinating about the work in the context, which makes it become that sort of devotional piece. And also there's a great intrigue about that piece because, of course, it's, it's popularly now thought that Bach didn't actually write the tune. Yes, I thought that The um, tune too. was written by a contemporary composer who no one's now heard of, Dolphus, who was not yes. the composer around at the time of Bach. And Bach, in typical fashion, just took this tune he heard on the street probably one day and then made something absolutely wonderful out of it by harmonizing it differently yeah interesting. so that's another another angle on that the interest of each piece yeah now how much of the process uh i guess the 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 picking the repertoire process do you involve the actual uh kids in the choir do are they part do they participate do you see which well, songs they, they like do, the best yeah in a roundabout kind of way so the choir would participate in so far as we would choose music that they sing well right. so in that they sort of vote with their voices you know if they, if they think something's a great piece they'll sing it really well right um, and if they don't they won't so in that regard you know there's certainly a sense in which the choir is involved in the whole process of choosing repertoire mm-hmm. but also our um, producers the, um, Monica Fitzgibbons who's just sort of got a great ear for yes. things that ought to be better known um, and in her ministry of, of, of making wider, available, beautiful choral music, yeah. that's, uh, she's another very powerful voice in the whole process, so it's great to work with them. Right, yeah, so that's Monica Fitzgibbons from De, yeah. De Montfort Music. Um, and and what, tell us a little bit about the recording process. You're recording act in the actual chapel or the Church of St. Paul's, right? Exactly, yeah. So that's that's the, right, so we, we, it's important to us to capture the actual acoustics the choir sings in every day yeah. because choirs sing differently based on what building they sing in. So um, you think of the famous King's College Choir in England, and that choir really sings in a way that works in the building that they sing in. Um, And it's very much true of us as well that the way we sing is based on this beautiful, blooming acoustic that we have at St. Paul's that graces liturgies here every day. Um, And so recording was important to capture that. We were working with Christopher Alder, who has won, I think, 11 Grammy Awards Mm. already, a very, very senior record producer. Um, And seeing him working with the young boys was great because there's a real sense of experience and youth coming to play together there. Right. And what are the ages of the boys? The boys are from the fourth grade to actually up to the eighth grade. We had two boys whose voices survived through the eighth grade (laughs) on this recording. And that's that's quite rare that they will survive in good enough shape to be on a recording. But we were very lucky lucky year at the end of last year when the recording was made um, and this year again looks very promising actually with a number of boys still singing treble in the eighth grade that's great and so do you yeah. do you, i mean the boys are in school do you did you take like a whole couple days to do the recording or do they record one we song did. yeah you did that's right so we took three days and um, because it's as you can imagine there's a lot of equipment you yes have to yes put up to make a recording like this right. with microphones everywhere capturing ambient sound as well as the sound right at where the choir is there mm-hmm. um, and so what was really a challenge for us in Harvard Square as you probably know it's right in the middle of the university Yes, and so it's very busy and, and evenings are particularly um, noisy with cars driving past the church all the time and students coming and going and maybe even parties going on and things like yeah. that so you really have to pick your time very carefully so we record early afternoon to um, sort of mid to late afternoon is the window when the traffic is for some reason at its least yeah. volumous there and, and you know and it's, and it's just just quiet enough to be able to do it 
really yeah. well. Is there something about the fact that the? I mean, obviously, some of the kids who might have been in 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 uh, Christmas at Harvard Square may not be in the choir anymore, and you might have some new kids. Is there um, something about that sort of transitioning or new newness that brings definitely? I get yeah. In fact, in fact, there was one boy who was on both albums. Oh one. yeah. Oh really? Um, and he he was, uh, I think, in the very beginning of. Well, he was in fifth grade, I think, for Christmas in Harvard Square, and he was one of the two who survived to eighth grade right. um, for Ave Maria. So there's definitely a sense in which the choir is new a lot of the time that we have new boys coming in and, and older boys leaving very quickly. It's a, it's a very fast turnover. Really? Um, and so we always say to them that really the work that you do here, singing in the choir, is based on what's gone before you and it's very much your part of a living tradition that we have to be custodians of and that we have to look after and do our bit to make sure we pass it on in as good a condition as we found it yeah no i know and i i saw that you you're celebrating 50 years so that's 50 years of, of the choir um we have a choir school here in toronto we there's also well known the the saint michael's choir oh, school right, michael's, so yeah. so uh, for people who are just maybe learning about the school today tell us briefly we have about <laughs> about 30 seconds um just about the school is it the school that's dedicated it's a choir school that's correct exactly yeah it's dedicated to liturgical singing so we sing at mass every day in the church okay and um on sundays we get a very big congregation comes um because the music is traditional music drawn from the history of the church and that doesn't mean no contemporary in that contemporary classical music in that tradition is sung as well but really it's that beautiful traditional music that's written for boys voices that we particularly um enjoy singing here Right. And um, the school is available to any any boy starting third or fourth grade. That age group is where we start to audition. Okay, great. So anybody can audition, and they it's an academic. Of course, they that's they're an academic school as well. Not, yeah, they don't exactly. they don't just sing. Um, so no. so that's uh, St. Paul's Choir School. Um, John, that's all the time we have. But thank you so much. Um, I know you. a lot of our listeners are gonna they appreciate this this uh, style of music, and and so thank you for doing the work that you do. Thank you very much for having me. Um, Ave Maria, the album, can be purchased online at stpaulschoirschool.us. That's the website of the school, stpaulschoirschool.us. And that's also where you can learn about the school. If you want to send your children there, if you're a child and you want to go, that's where you go. Um, now, here are the boys of St. Paul's Choir School with a song of wisdom by Charles Villiers Stanford from their album Ave Maria.
We're listening to the Boys of St. Paul's Choir School with a song of wisdom from their album, Ave Maria. This is a special edition of the Saltonite Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Check out our website at saltonitetv.org slash radio. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. I can't say for sure whether anyone has ever actually asked me why I am Catholic or how I can still be Catholic, but I do remember once receiving an email from a friend a long time ago, around the time when all the uh, church sex abuse scandals were surfacing, and he was asking me how uh, how I could be Catholic. Um, And that's the title of this book, published by Marion Press, by Christopher Sparks. In the book, he addresses 50 controversial questions, the Inquisition, the Crusades, homosexuality, procreation, women in the church, you name it, he addresses it. And today, um, Chris Sparks joins us uh, here to tell us all about it. Christopher, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thanks for having me. So um, is it as simple to say that you wrote the book because you were tired of people asking you these questions and you wanted to help people answer them, or is there, was there a deeper reason? Well, a lot of it was I had to answer it myself. Uh, my father's side of the family is Protestant, and mom's side's Catholic. Right. And they both agree on all of the really essential things, Jesus Christ is Lord, that sort of thing. But I thought that for the sake of my own you know, intellectual honesty, I really should come to a conclusion as to which one of them was right. So I started going into online apologetics a bit and thought that if I found the, the hardest case by atheists or whoever against the Church, that and if the Church had answers, then I would find uh, the truth the quickest and the easiest way. So I did that for a number of years and was involved in various uh, publications at my college and and after a while came to the conclusion that not only did the church have answers, but they were astoundingly good answers. So, hold on so, a second. So, did you were you brought up Catholic, or you brought up kind of like Christian, and you were going to choose at some point whether you wanted to be Catholic or not? Raised Catholic. We would go to yeah. church on Sundays. Uh, Dad kept getting invited to join the Knights of Columbus because he was right. at Mass more often than most of the Catholic men. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, yeah we were, we were, um, we were church-going. Um, it was... Mom was involved in religious ed and so forth, but still, uh, in some ways, a, a fairly secular upbringing. Right. Um, Dad was military, was Coast Guard, okay. Coast Guard helicopter pilot, wow. and so we moved around a great deal. I have a fairly good sample of parish life in the U.S. Right. So then you're saying that a lot of these questions were actual real questions that you had, and you figured, if I can you know, find an answer, because you were searching for the truth. Certainly things that I saw people raising on a regular basis. Um, the Crusades comes up a lot. Yeah, the question yeah. of Pius the Twelfth and the Church's role yes. during World War II comes up a lot. Yes, yes, 
Yeah. Um, I don't know if I should wait till the end to ask you this question, but I want to ask you right now. uh, Presumably, you're Catholic now. You're practicing Mm -hmm. Catholic. You wrote the book, so I guess you found that the 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 you found decent answers to these questions that you had. Certainly, I came to the conclusion that the Church is as she says she is. She is the body of Christ. Now, at the same time, that doesn't mean that she's pure and perfect here below. That means there's weeds and wheat, there's good fish and bad fish, that this is a field hospital for sinners, yeah. and some of the patients don't take their meds. Right, uh, <laughs> right. And, and some of the patients become some of the doctors and nurses, the great saints, and some of the patients become a problem for their fellow patients. Right. But in some ways, that's entirely to be expected. And also, it makes no sense to leave a hospital just because there are sick people there. Right. That That's such a great image um, that you've taken that field hospital image and, 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 and <laughs> expanded it. I, I love that. Um, let's look at some of these questions, because I think that people, uh, uh, that's the whole point of the book, and people are listening because they want to know. Um, so I think is the first question you ask in the book. How can you still be Catholic when the church overall has so much dirty laundry? How would you answer that mm-hmm. question? Well, in some ways, it's the laundromat, so of course there's going to be dirty laundry. Right. Uh, it's it's hmm. 2,000 years of human nature and 2,000 years of history. Um, I, we would be hard-pressed to find any institution on the face of the earth that's lasted 50 years that doesn't have some sort of dirty laundry somewhere. So right. 2,000 years is, is an immense stretch of time. Uh-huh. There's also just our whole mission as a church is to go out and bring the sinners in. So yeah, it's full of sinners. That's its job. Uh, now, if we're not making any saints, that's a problem. But if you look at every century in the history of the Church, there's at least a couple great saints, outstanding examples of the holiness you'd expect to find but from people who are close to Jesus Christ. Right. And surrounding them, there's whole orders and movements that emerge, movements of renewal, movements of transformation, spiritual eruptions, things that change the world in ways that aren't strictly natural. So uh-huh. yeah, we do see the great sanctity right alongside that great sinfulness. So you would you would use similar image as the hospital and say that that there is dirty laundry, but it's being laundered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's also yeah, clean and we're laundry. working on yeah. it. Yeah, and some people some people never get better. Yeah. Some people get a whole lot better. Yeah. Um, some socks can't be cleaned it. anymore. You just have to throw them out. Um, um, I, I was going to ask you the, the next question the, about, you know, how can you be Catholic if you're a sinner? But I, in a way, you've answered that question already because you just said, you know, it's, 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 it's dirty laundry. Of course, it's a laundromat. It's a field hospital. Of course, there's sick people. So, of course, the church would be full of sinners because we're human beings, right? And there's that. There's also just, you know, I... I think a lot of people assume that if you're religious, you do it because you like it. You do it because it's comfortable, you do it because it's like-minded people, and everybody all gets along, and we all sing Kumbaya together, and we all are self-satisfiedly holy. Imagine it as an assembly of Pharisees in a lot of ways. But the Catholic religion is incredibly honest. If you look at the Our Father, we confess our sin, and we ask for delivery from evil. If you look at the Hail Mary, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Yeah. So it's not as though we expect that, oh, I'm going to be perfect and there's nothing going to be to pray for. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be a sinner at the hour of my death, and I need you, blessed Mother, you who are immaculate, to pray for me now and throughout my life. Mm-hmm. You look at the Mass. We start every Mass with the confession of sin. Yeah. Uh, you know, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. And some very evocative prayers about the depths of our sinfulness. My fault, my fault, my most grievous fault. Yes. 
Yeah. The church is designed so that we are honest about this. It's it's sort of the great instrument of anti-hypocrisy, the rosary, the mass, all of this, confession. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I guess uh, that's why we need a Savior, right? Otherwise, we Absolutely. wouldn't need salvation. Now, let's end with, with uh, and this is not so much why are you still Catholic, but why are you, like, why do you even believe in God um, mm-hmm. when the world is so screwed up? It seems like God doesn't care. There's so many people in need of help. Um, mm-hmm. Why Why do we belong to a church when there's so much suffering and it seems that God doesn't exist? Yeah, I think a lot of it's, First of all, the Church is one of the greatest sources of practical assistance to people in the world. Yeah, uh, I believe I, I saw at one point the statistic that 25% of the care for AIDS victims mm-hmm. is done in Catholic hospitals, it's Catholic true. ministries, that sort of thing. Yeah, That's worldwide. So certainly prayer leads to action. Prayer does not simply stay in a cloister. It does not simply remain in a, my bedroom. Mm-hmm. Prayer leads the Church to action. Now, some people are called only to prayer. Some people are called only to suffering because they're homebound or by vows or what have you. There's a place in the whole mystical body for that. There's also the apostolic orders. There's also the laity. There's also the people who are called to go forth and take part in Catholic Relief Services or Caritas Internationalis or yeah. any of the other many, many, many different Catholic ministries for providing practical help. So fundamentally, God is providing an answer to the suffering of the world, and we are it. Right. Uh, every time someone looks around and says, well, there's suffering there, why doesn't God do something about it? The answer is, you're probably part of that answer. Yeah, you absolutely, see it. absolutely. Either spreading the word about it, or helping out practically, or offering your suffering up for those who are either suffering or those who are trying to help. Um, we, are, we are the mystical body of Christ. We are meant to be making God present in the world again and again and again to the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Amen. So that's a lot of it. There's also just, a lot of people forget original sin. The world is not meant to be this way. This was right. not the way it was designed to be. We broke it. Mm-hmm. It is not shattered beyond repair. It will. It is redeemed. It will be made new. Yeah. But this is a broken world. This is not what God had designed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, Chris, what what is your hope for this book? Who is this book for? I think anyone who asks that question, whether they be Catholic or not, uh, I think certainly a lot of Catholics have to confront these questions. They have to recommit to the faith. We live in such a secular world. We live in a very post-Christian milieu in a lot of ways, especially Mm -hmm. in Canada and the United States and North America. Uh, It is a uniquely challenging time to be Catholic in a lot of ways. So I hope it helps. I also hope that at the very least, even if people aren't convinced, I hope that people at least take the time to look through a Catholic lens for a while and come to understand better how can people still be Catholic in this modern age. Yeah, absolutely. At the very least, understanding. I, I would really hope that we're able to clear away some of the myths and some of the misunderstandings that get in the way of all of us serving the truth as best we can. There you go. Good. Thank you. So it's a great book, um, great answers to some of these questions. As you just heard, Christopher Sparks uh, giving you some some good answers there. I hope uh, people go and find the book. Christopher Sparks, thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. Chris Sparks has a BA in history and philosophy from Gonzaga University. He has an MA in theology from Franciscan University in Steubenville. He has written for Catholic Exchange, Lay Witness Magazine, and various publications by the Marian Fathers. You can read his blog at theturnofthetide.blogspot.com. I'm going to put that link on our site so you can find it easily. His book, How Can You Still Be Catholic? 50 Answers to a Good Question. 
is published by Marion Press. Here now is our featured Artist of the Week, Meredith Augustine, with Psalm 34, The Angel of the Lord by Paul Tate, from her new album, Boundless Mercy. That was Meredith Augustine with The Angel of the Lord by Paul Tate from her new album, Boundless Mercy. Now, Meredith Augustine has been singing all her life, and I think you can hear it in her voice. She comes from a background of all kinds of different styles, from jazz to musical theater, spiritual and soul music. Now, you may not know her name, but you may know her voice as she's featured in many recordings by so many other artists, including Paul Tate and John Angotti. 
Meredith has just released her third solo album with World Library Publications, Boundless Mercy. And uh, to tell us all about it, I'm now joined by Meredith Augustine. Meredith, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Can you tell I'm trying really hard to pronounce your name right? August <laughs> Augustine. And it's a French, French, you said. Yes. So tell me yeah, a little Augustine. about this. So Augustine French, what, what are you from a French background or tell me what was it like growing up? Who are you, tell us about you. Um, no, no, no. I'm actually Italian, <laughs> but I married a Haitian. So um, okay, so Haiti, Augustine Haiti French, yeah. Okay, I get it. Okay, okay. So your Augustine is your husband's is your married name? Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, so, so let's back up even more. I do want to ask you about now your husband, your Haitian husband, but, um, what was it like growing up? Did you, I know you live now in New York, but where did you grow up? What was growing up like? So I grew up in West Virginia. Uh huh. Um, and my tie to John Angotti actually is our grandparents came over from Italy on the same boat. Are you serious? Wow. Yeah. So they settled in a little place called Anmore, West Virginia. Uh-huh. And people always say, how did people from Italy get to West Virginia? And that was because of the coal mines. Okay. Um, so that that drew a lot of work. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I grew up there, and I came to New York in 97. Did you grow up in a, I mean, I guess Italian, was it a Catholic household, a practicing Catholic yes. household? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, like super Catholic. And was it a mm-hmm. mu- musical household? My mother has, um, uh, her undergraduate was in piano performance. Okay. So um, she, while I was in utero, she taught piano lessons. Okay. And um, She had no choice. Yeah. And then the story of me singing really was that I had a pacifier when I was two. She said, you have to give that up so you can sing yourself to sleep. Okay, nice. And I've been singing ever since. Did you sing? You sang, I guess, in at church. Yeah, I um, I started the first solo I ever sang in church was the prayer of Saint Francis. Okay. I was probably around seven, and what's interesting as as um, the Lord would have it is that uh, that was my first solo, and at this present moment, I work at the Church of Saint Francis of Assisi for the Friars of the Holy Name Province. Well, that's funny because we just finished doing a whole interview on Franciscan saints. So maybe that's the theme of today's program. Franciscan, how Francis is, is everywhere. Franciscans are everywhere, everywhere. Yes. Um, um, so so um, when did you start writing music? You know, it, it's been as of recent. I mean, I write like melodies and yeah. John and I would sort of collaborate on songs and yeah. things like that. But um, I was asked to write the theme song for the Religious Education Congress in, in 2016 yeah. in Los Angeles. Uh-huh. And that was kind of my debut of writing. Okay. So like that's that song, sorry, things. Boundless. So there's this album, Boundless Mercy, the, the song that you wrote, Boundless Mercy, was that that was a theme for the 2016 the track, yes. of relig- the LA Religious Educa- Education Congress, which is like the largest, really, Catholic Congress in the United States. 
I mean, every, it is. everybody talks about the religious education. If you Congress. haven't been, you should go. Yeah, I have been. So we're telling our listeners okay. you should go. Perfect. It's great for Christmas shopping. Yes. That's where you do it, where everybody goes to do their Christmas <laughs> yes, shopping right. at the at oh the goodness. religious yes. ed congress in LA. Um, so, well, tell me about that. So you were you were asked to write the theme. What is what is that like? You get a phone call, like somebody says, "Hey, we want you to write." Yeah, I actually I got an email. Okay. From Father Chris and um, Paulette and John Flaherty that music director for the whole thing uh-huh. and they asked me um, and I said yes of course and every year the Congress has a theme and that year was Boundless Mercy Mercy because it was um, a year of mercy of course taking yeah. a lot from Pope yeah. Francis and, yeah. and just his you know influence and stressing the mercy of God yes. and um, so it was um, a beautiful theme but I will tell you that the Spanish translation of Boundless Mercy is not a really easy thing to say. No. And people, okay, so just so that you so our listener, we haven't heard the song yet. We're going to end the program with that song. And so why did you go with the Spanish and the salsa rhythms? Well, the thing, well, first of all, I love rhythm. Okay. Um, I'm obsessed with rhythms, especially um, Latino salsa, yeah. Latino rhythms, um, Haitian rhythms, like rhythms just intoxicate me. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when you're in LA, yeah, that's, Spanish is really the, the prevalent language, um, mm-hmm. other than English, and there's Vietnamese. But the yes. at that point we were just doing um, songs kind of bilingually, so uh-huh. it's you know it's something that you have to take into consideration. Mm-hmm. So in writing it, you know my goal is that I want to hear people sing mm-hmm. right off the bat. I don't want people listening. I want people. So I did a little call and response at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So Misericordia Inagotable was was um, part of the English Spanish at the beginning. Um, yeah. So when you play that, you'll hear that right at the right off the bat. You're right. Misericordia Inagotable is not the easiest thing mm-hmm. to sing, even if you speak Spanish. No, it doesn't roll off the tongue. Yeah, Unless, no. I mean, even for me, who's studied the language a lot, it's not something. And you want to make it work musically. Too. Yeah, of course. Now, is it the kind of song that people could maybe sing at church, or is it more to listen to, or or like a theme song for a congress, which is what it is? No, I think, I mean, I've had several people who I think have used it. Yeah. Um, I mean, listening to it, I'm sure people would say, well, how do I replicate that? Um, uh-huh. But, yeah, it's, it's hard. you know, you can take parts that work and throw out the parts that don't. Right, right, right. Now, you mentioned Haiti, and uh, I mean, your husband is Haitian. You have a... a, a, (laughs) That would explain the personal connection to Haiti. Um, But you've been going to Haiti. (laughs) I'm sure that you've been going to Haiti more than just because your husband is Haitian. Haiti, um, I don't know what it is with Haiti. I think um, I feel like a very, very strong connection for many, many, many years. From Uh the time I was 16, 17 years old. When was the first um, time there you was, went? There was a musical on Broadway called Once on This Island. Uh-huh. It's actually having a revival that's opening in November. Yeah. And um, it's all about Haiti. But when I was when I came from West Virginia to New York to see the musical, I had no idea where Haiti was, but the story in me resonated very deeply. Um had a lot to do with the um skin color of people and how people were treated and um, mm-hmm. it really struck um, very deeply a chord very deep within me um, and has continued to and I've been really blessed to meet beautiful people mm-hmm. um, 
I travel, I've been traveling there since like 2004, wow. so long before the earthquake. Right. They've suffered and, so much on um, that island. Really yeah. uh, continue. And, I, and, and God has um, conspired and just really brought beautiful musicians um, into my presence, and I've been able to collaborate a lot. Yeah. With their well, music. Then, so I'm hoping, I know that you do kind of secular music, Haitian music. I, do. I would love yeah. to hear the Catholic Haitian music album. So is that that's that's my my commission to you. Not that I can Thank fund you. it, but I'm sure that World no, Library like will, that. will will publish it. Um cuz there's a huge Haitian community all over the United States. Yes. And many of them are Catholic. ACMY. Yes, yes, yes. There oh, there you go. So um, <laughs> that that's going to be your next cause since you before we went on the air just so our listeners know you said that there wasn't anything coming down the pipes you weren't sure what was going to be your next project so that's your next project there you go thank you how cool is that um, we're going to leave it there Meredith uh, but thank you so much it's so cool to get to know you and uh, to hear your music and, and now <laughs> to look forward to the next project um, uh, and I look forward actually I haven't heard some of your, your Haitian the secular music that you do but I'm looking forward to hearing that as well cause, yeah I'll get that to you thank yeah, you for sure um, so keep doing what you're doing and stay in touch okay thanks so much thank you you can learn more about Meredith Augustine at voicesasone.com and you can purchase her new album Boundless Mercy through World Library Publications at wlpmusic.com here now is Meredith Augustine with Boundless Mercy from her new album of the same name. Boundless Mercy, Boundless Mercy, Misericordia Agotable, Misericordia Agotable, Boundless Mercy. listening to Meredith Augustine with Boundless Mercy from her album, Boundless Mercy. And that concludes this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. You can learn all about Salt and Light at our website, saltandlighttv.org. And when you're there, visit our show page, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. If you have any questions or comments or just to say hello, reach out to me through Facebook or Twitter. Thank you for listening to this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro.